Welcome to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, the queer James Bond podcast. I'm Andrew Wheeler. And I'm Shane Holland. Through this podcast, we want to explore all aspects of James Bond. The books, the movies, the music, the fashion, the icons, and even the cultural impact of Bond, which includes the spoofs and satires. For this episode, we are looking at one of the most famous Bond spoofs of all time, the 1997 Mike Myers comedy Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. But before we get groovy, baby, Shane, (laughs) have you been up to anything very Bondy this week or Powersy? Uh, well, you know what? I feel like I have powers, and <laughs> and it definitely feels very Bondy that I survived another year. <laughs> what could be more Bond than that? In fact, when this comes out, uh, I will have just turned thirty-five, which is about the age of James himself, uh, as portrayed in most of the novels, and I think definitely the age he's supposed to be in the novel Moonraker, which we'll be discussing very, very shortly on this yes. podcast. Very excited about that. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, though I have absolutely none of the athletic qualities, uh, I certainly enjoy my martinis. Uh, I delight in my fine dining, just like James. And now that I have one shot of Pfizer in my arm, I'm looking forward to doing more daring adventures in my future. Unlike James, I'm not smoking a pack or five uh, packs of cigarettes a day. <laughs> and I'm also in therapy for the first time in my life. So my chances of survival have actually eclipsed James Bond so far. Uh, and, you know... Uh, I feel good about myself. It's my birthday and I'm excited for the first time in a long time, damn it. Happy birthday. And and thank you. So glad you finally have your vaccine. I got mine just over 2 weeks ago now. Oh, uh, that means that w- very soon we will actually be able to record this together in person. Right? Unprecedented. <laughs> we literally haven't done that yet, which is crazy. Um <laughs> That is crazy. You know, things are moving slowly here in Canada. The vaccine rollout has been very poor, especially in Ontario. But uh, mm. but yes, you and I are both now vaccinated and, and many of our friends, thank God, are now vaccinated. It feels like the ball is finally starting to roll. We can yeah. only hope that uh, the places that need it even more than we do here get their fair share of the vaccine Absolutely. in the coming weeks, months. Uh, what about you, Andrew? What's the bondiest thing that you've done this week? Well, in light of the fact that, that the uh, veil is lifting that we might get to go outside again, I, I shaved <laughs> this week. Um, oh, oh my! You know, I don't do that very often. This this last year, I barely shaved at all, just getting more and more gross and wild. Because unlike you, I don't actually have to leave the house for my work. In fact, <laughs> I, I have to stay very still for my job. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've been, I have been let the beard grow out and all, all that jazz. The, the ha- hair on my head does not grow out, unfortunately. I've discovered that a long time <laughs> ago. Um, but yes, in, in realizing that I would have to go out into the world again, I was thinking about, well, I might have to buy clothes. Um, I might be a different size than I used to be. Um, Hi. (laughs) And uh, and I need to start, like, actually caring about what I look like maybe again. It's going to be very odd. Um, But all of which reminded me that I do have uh, a bottle of Eucharist in my cabinet. So I decided to splash a little Eucharist today, which is the same eau de toilette or cologne that Bond is supposed to use from a uh, a little men's barbershop in uh, St. James's in London. When I lived in London, I did the only time I ever went for a gentleman's shave uh, <laughs> I went to Trumper it's an unfortunate name even more so now than it was then um, <laughs> uh, established 1875 it says on the bottle um, so oh yes I, I had a proper shave once upon a time at uh, at the Trumpers on Curzon Street so yes yeah, so I, I, I got to splash a little of the scent of James Bond on myself today even though I'm not going anywhere I thought well I should maybe check if this 
is still good because it is about 10 years old and that is about the expiry date. Oh, wow. Yes, of course. Uh, so you haven't poisoned yourself is what you're saying. <laughs> we will find out during the course of this recording. If I start screaming and, and melting like the Wicked Witch of the West, then it's <laughs> this was a terrible mistake. I mean, that could also be fairly a reaction to some of the scenes in the movie we're about to watch. <laughs> that, that's true, yeah. I'll have, to, I'll have to indicate which way it's gone. But uh, yeah, I'm not someone that wears scents. And in fact, we live in a world now where it's kind of increasingly frowned upon to wear scents in, in public spaces. So the jo- odds of me wear- wearing this or using this are pretty slim. But, uh, but you know, sometimes it's nice to tart yourself up. Smell like a tart handkerchief, as James Bond would smell, say. And, and it is a- Smell and say, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, it is a lovely, woodsy, masculine scent, as you would expect from James Bond. So. Of course. Oh, well, I wish I could be close and sniffing you uh, <laughs> in person. Uh, but uh, we will do that soon. Yes, I shall wear it for you, my love. Thank you. <laughs> For every episode of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, we recommend a cocktail or drink that matches the theme of the episode, or maybe just the, a sign of the times. Uh, this week, it is Shane's turn to pick. Shane, what's on tap? Well, in honor of both of us receiving our first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, not to mention the Scottish roots of today's leading man, oh, yes. the only appropriate choice was another variation of a whiskey sour, uh, which also feels appropriate because this is a variation of a James Bond <laughs> film. Today's cocktail is the penicillin. It is two ounces of blended scotch mixed with three quarters ounce of fresh squeezed lemon juice, three quarter ounces of honey ginger syrup, shaken in a cocktail shaker over ice. And then a quarter ounce of Isla scotch floated on top and, of course, garnished with lemon peel or, if you're very fancy and can make it or get access to it, candy (laughs) ginger. Uh, I made one for myself today and, oh my, it is like sweet and medicinal and sour and smoky and this lass will cure what ails you, I tell (laughs) you. Or it will probably actually make it worse, but... Don't ask me. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> no, no. Scotch is a is a medicine. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, a cure all. Right. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's absolutely lovely. I have to thank you because you, of course, gave me th- the suggestion, and uh, yeah, it was such a lovely treat. Uh, had you not had one before? No, I've never had one, and I can't believe that because I love scotch, and yeah. I particularly love Isla scotch. Uh, you know, it's, Isla whiskeys are known for being, you know, the peatiest, the smokiest, yes. the boldest flavored whiskeys, and uh, I have always loved them. Maybe it's because I was smoking like a pack a day <laughs> when I was first introduced to them, so my palate was already gone to shit. But <laughs> it is such a great bacony flavor yeah. that I absolutely adore, uh, and to have it. As kind of the base of a whiskey sour, it never crossed my mind how great a pairing that would be. There are very few uh, cocktails that you would use a quality single malt in, um, because honestly, it's a waste in most cases. But mm. I take it oh, in yeah. this instance, the flavors are actually well deployed, that you would not consider this a waste of Isla. No, no, definitely not. Particularly because it is, like I said, floated on top, which mm-hmm. is, that is to say, it's uh, layered on there instead of poured or uh, mixed into there. Uh, you really get that sharp hit of that peat, that smoke, right off top, right off the top and uh, you can definitely taste the quality of that whiskey before you get to the sour underneath. So yeah, if you have a Lagavulin 16, you're only using a quarter ounce of it. Uh, It is definitely worth it for this cocktail. Excellent. Well, when we can see each other, I I would love to have one of those and then maybe just finish off the bottle of Isla between us. 
Oh, I think we can manage that. <laughs> I'm going to need you to sign these release forms. Okay, name. Sex? Yes, please. In his time, he was the coolest secret agent alive. Unfortunately... It's freedom, baby, yeah! This is not his time. That was a clip from the trailer for Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery, the 1997 spy comedy from director Jay Roach, starring Mike Myers, Elizabeth Hurley, Michael York, Mimi Rogers and Seth Green, written by Mike Myers with music by the great George Clinton. Um, what's your history with this movie? You know, what age did you come to it at? Uh, well, I was 11 when this film came out, so I was still a bit young. I did definitely <laughs> did not see it in theaters, but my first memory of it is my parents coming home from the theater still laughing. They hadn't seen <laughs> anything quite like this, I guess, in quite a long time, particularly because they were raising me and my younger brother, so they're probably wiped out and ready for a good laugh. Uh, and yeah, they just, they would, they were laughing, trying to tell me uh, at the time about what happened without, you know, telling me how <laughs> rude it was. Uh, I think it was one of the, first VHS I remember uh, them buying for themselves uh, in a long time as well and I definitely wore that tape out <laughs> so you're a nostalgic fondness oh say. absolutely it's a nostalgia thing for me uh, and I must admit I made you watch this <laughs> it, this is a, a true birthday present to me you didn't really want to do it and I said no no no, no. we do it now this is this is your <laughs> gift <laughs> I am the elder, the elder <laughs> partner, the, the senior partner in this, in this uh, relationship. And uh, so my relationship to to basically any kind of bro comedy, I mean, maybe I'm being unfair. This isn't as bro-y as many other comedies from the 90s, but certainly my relationship with comedy movies is uh, is strained because of the way so many of them feel like they are not inviting me in as a, as a queer person. Oh, 100%. You know, this one is not anywhere close to as offensive as, as some of the worst offenders, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective being perhaps yes. the absolute nadir um, of the type. But, you know, the, a lot of the times I felt like this was this was comedy for boys, and by boys they didn't mean me. Um, and so I came at this, you know, post-adolescence as a grown-up. Um, I, I wasn't that old when this movie came out, but, you know, I was... <laughs> old I, enough. I was university age. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, these films, I always felt a little uncomfortable in the room watching these with my straight mates a little less included than they were. So that, I think, has informed my relationship, which is, you know, fair in some ways and unfair in other ways. I think it's totally fair, uh, because, like you said, seeing this in high school, university, um, you would be seeing this with other people, whereas I, uh, being younger, I kind of saw this in my home in yeah. a vacuum. Um, so I I really latched on to Elizabeth Hurley in this film, right. because she's such a fashion fucking icon. Uh, <laughs> and, and plus Rosa Klebb, I've always been attracted to uh, strong, hilarious women, yep. and Rosa and uh, not Rosa Klebb. Sorry, <laughs> Frau Farbissen. <laughs> uh, oh, how could you make that mistake? They're completely different how, characters, how on earth, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> Mindy Sterling, though, just such yes. a comic genius in this film. She says everything with the raise of an eyebrow. Really, really fantastic portrayal here. Uh, truly, one of the great Bond villains. If she weren't, if she were a Bond <laughs> film. <laughs> Yeah, and it's actually, you know, going back and watching the movie now, because I don't think I've seen it since I was, you know, 20 or something. I did have a renewed appreciation for the women in the movie, Mindy Sterling, um, Mimi Rogers, Elizabeth Mimi Hurley. Mimi Rogers, oh, so You know, they're, they're, all, they're all doing 
uh, great work here. Or in Elizabeth Hurley's case, she's doing her best posh spice. You know? um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> this this was a certain era for English women of a certain uh, uh, Style. size. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> where where the talent didn't really come into it, but what you wore very much did. And at the same time, icons both. You know, uh, Victoria oh, yeah, yeah. and Elizabeth also both named after queens. I mean, oh, how, you, how how much more perfect could you get? <laughs> So, uh, yeah, uh, I did have a renewed appreciation for those characters. But at the same time, like, I, I, once we got into, like, the second and third Austin Powers movies, that's when I was really like, oh, this franchise is designed for a whole other person than me. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in retrospect, this is definitely the good one. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. By the third one, when the third one came out, I was old enough to be in your position right. you for this one. Uh, and I definitely felt the way you felt about this one. Uh, the, uh, the spy who shagged me, uh, I still think we should cover for this podcast. We'll get into that. <laughs> later uh, i mean you uh, have a birthday every year i guess so. i i guess i guess this could be our tradition for the length of this podcast that's fantastic well andrew should we jump into it yes let's so uh the action begins in the year 1967 in nevada the supervillain dr evil is frustrated that his assassins have failed to eliminate his nemesis the british super spy austin powers he kills multiple henchmen as a lesson to the survivors literally right out of the gate there's just so many connery era bond references uh from the blofeld suit uh and holding the pet holding and petting the cat the the whole style of his introduction yeah. uh which is from Russia with Love, which is Thunderball, which is You Only Live Twice. <laughs> uh, pl- and plus the suit also has uh, this, um, it reminds me of uh, Dr. No's outfit in Dr. No. Very yep. the, the Mandarin collar sort of oriental style. Exactly. And I, and I use oriental here to describe a style. Uh, not to mention, as I already made this mistake, Frau Farbissina is clearly just a ripoff of Rosa Klebb from <laughs> Russia with Love. I wasn't sure about some of the other hench people around the table, whether they were meant to be references or not. Uh, like the Generalissimo and Don Luigi and Rita um, are the, the three others. Um, <laughs> yes. Great sight gags. But I and I also paused for a second. I was like, OK, OK, how deep are they going? I don't think <laughs> right. they were going as deep as I needed it <laughs> yeah like maybe mustafa is a reference to like there has been a guy with a fez punched in the face by james bond in one of the movies and so maybe that's a reference but maybe o- octopussy just... is definitely where my mind went right. uh, with mustafa but yeah maybe that uh, again is just me really pushing it but jürgen def- definitely feels like a reference and he feels like a sort of a mixed reference because he's this giant towering man with a like yeah. a hook hand and so he looks he's a little red grant and he's a little bit teehee and a little bit jaws even just like a, a oh giant, yeah a giant with a with a, a notable disability um and and he was my first incidental hottie of the movie just a big slab of beef that, that <laughs> of Jürgen. course he was so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> r.i.p jurgen <laughs> uh, ve- very quick r.i.p it's so fun to see a young will Ferrell. Feral, even though it's horrible that it's basically brownface. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is classic Bond, though. So, you know, True. it's not really, it is also in itself a reference, I suppose. I kind of, I mean, yeah. Probably <laughs> not. That's me giving a lot of leeway to this a film. A lot of leeway. Um, <laughs> and maybe the Bondiest reference of, of all is, is, uh, the supervillain killing his useless hench people. Oh. Um, something that we first see in Thunderball, where it's an electrocution chair that is used to dispose of the incompetent, uh, deputy but here it is a chair that 
basically ejects uh, people into a fiery pit. And yes, an incinerator of sorts uh, that works on and off. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love the score to this film. On top of the the actual soundtrack, we will get into some of the songs. The score is just perfectly like John Barry era, big big brassy long instrumentals i absolutely am hooked right at the beginning of this film yeah amazing music and the music is both great on its own uh merits but also really great like bond references oh absolutely buried in the music it's it's a very smart score after uh multiple hench people are written off we go straight to london and we meet austin powers leading a dance routine and photo shoot in the streets and running from his screaming female fans and some male he's <laughs> he's rescued by fellow spy mrs kensington in a union jack e-type jag yes this is this is like one of the the high points in a way of the movie i love oh. the musical number um so much amazing carnaby street fashion going on here like just <laughs> oh, beautiful outfits like really like you miss this for most of the rest of the movie you miss this for most of the rest of our existence on this planet <laughs> i wish to god we still dressed like this it's so colorful yeah. it is so it has so much character there are so many incidental hotties in this <laughs> crowd there are great gags like everything of course taken straight out of a hard day's night yes um this might be one of the most iconic film opening sequences from the 90s in general how can you not think of this when you think of the the word austin powers it's true and the great soul bossa nova by quincy jones ah. just like one of the greatest instrumentals such an amazing piece of music that has endured it's it's gorgeous there's a lot of like it looks like a lot of italian silk going on in there the <laughs> the costuming um i think this is maybe my favorite austin powers suit he has this this blue striped suit um with a red mm. red and white polka dot shirt underneath and it sort of sets a high bar that I don't think he ever actually matches again, because I suppose because in every other appearance, he's supposed to look out of place, whereas here, he's supposed he to fit right in. He looks right in, yes, yeah. of course. Oh, yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, this was not my pick for his favorite suit, but now that I think about it, maybe you're right. I like the polka dots underneath it. It pops so much more mm. than than yeah the rest of his outfits do in this film. Yeah, later on everything is looks a little bit heavier, whereas here it's actually yeah quite trimly fit. Better tailoring in the sixties, obviously. Absolutely, of course. <laughs> uh, and Mimi Rogers, I mean, how bloody fantastic is she in this? <laughs> She's great. Yes, Mimi <laughs> yeah. Rogers severely underrated, even though she is doing an English accent. And uh, I mean, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, somewhat successfully. She's doing it up against <laughs> Mike Myers doing his English accent, so it sort of just gets buried in the avalanche, basically. <laughs> Austin gets a video call from his handler, Basil Exposition, who warns him that Dr. Evil is planning an attempt on his life at a nightclub. So here is the great Michael York. He was, of course, the star of Cabaret. Um, it is weird to me that Michael York is not a homosexual. Uh, In real life, right? He's yes, not? he's not. Sure? He's, okay, well. he's married to a woman. I mean, I I guess I should say we don't know for sure what he gets okay, up yeah. to, what the terms of his relationship are. He is not publicly out as a queer man, um, and I am not implicating him as a queer man. <laughs> but but right, it, right. he certainly reads as a very convincing. Like he played a queer man in cabaret, but also like there is just something effet, um and light, yes, and, certainly yes, light in the loafers about Michael. He's, <laughs> he's sort of quintessentially that that Englishman. He certainly like gives this goofy, happy energy to this mm. film that kind of actually sells the film for me you know he is as his name says the exposition character yes uh, but he does it with such a wink uh it he is so so fun to watch in these films 
whether or not Basil himself is gay, I mean, that's a different question to whether or not Michael York is gay. So uh, it's a possibility. Mm. Very, very true. <laughs> he certainly loves his mother. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, God, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Austin goes to the nightclub and foils an assassin disguised as a waitress. Dr. Evil kills the assassin, and Austin pursues him, but Dr. Evil escapes by freezing himself in a cryogenic chamber and being ejected into space. I mean, this nightclub, the Electric Psychedelic Pussycat Swingers Club, is the <laughs> best name for a club to this day. We we both have it in our notes, like, we just have to get the name down. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a gorgeous set that's sort of halfway between a, uh, a, an amazing, sumptuous slice of the, the 60s and, like, a Firkin pub. Like, there's a little... <laughs> yeah, the, um, it's a little too much uh, memorabilia on the walls yeah, for it's it to a be li- convincingly London. <laughs> it definitely got that sort of english theme pub sort of vibe going on a little bit. Like, we we don't have giant Union Jacks on. I mean, we do in some pubs, but not ones that look like this. <laughs> that's right, a different right. vibe. N- not the ones that anyone <laughs> wants to go to, per se. No. Uh, so, Look, I'm going to give my horribly unpopular opinion. I find it so tongue-in-cheek that despite how horribly offensive and somewhat transphobic and misogynistic it is, the preposterousness of the situation with the waitress... I still find funny. I (laughs) still laughed. And I know it's so problematic. And I know that I'm not supposed to like it now. But I must say, as a reference to Thunderball, uh, (laughs) it really, really gets me. It is, to me, a clear sign that, like, Mike Myers really loves these films. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, as a reference, it's maybe too subtle. Like, does everyone remember the the scene <sighs> where where Bond punches a woman and it turns out she's a man? Like, I don't Probably think Probably not. You're I, right. Yeah, I don't think that's one of the first things that people think of. Like, Thunderball, I don't think even is one of the, the most remembered movies. And if it is remembered, it's remembered for things like Little Nelly or, you know... Uh, not Little Nelly, the, the jetpack. So, yeah, I, I feel like it's not... A a common enough reference and the other thing is you know if you were making this movie now would you do this joke definitely not i you or you would do it di- uh, in a different way yeah you need trans people in the room to tell you whether or not it's offensive to trans people i think yeah exactly and it isn't a trans character it is a man dressed up as a woman and that is a different thing but the end the result is to be sort of horrified at this uh reveal and so that is that is discomforting for me Yes, absolutely. Like I said, that absolutely is transphobic. And I don't want to erase or excuse the horrible perpetuation of gender roles and uh, sexuality and gender. It's all, that is all horrible. I just, as someone who understood the reference, I immediately got it and I right. thought it was funny. But yeah, <laughs> like, like you said, everything is wrong with it. Nothing is right. And I'm, I, I'm admittedly an asshole. So <laughs> <laughs> in reference to gender roles, it is nice to see Mrs. Kensington is the one who gets to, you know, throw a few Ask punches. Cake. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so awesome. We should mention she is a reference to Mrs. Peel from the British Definitely. Avengers show rather than to anything from James Bond. You could argue there are characters that she shares things in common with, but no, Mrs. Kensington and Mrs. Peel are so clearly uh, uh, aligned, even in the style of dress and the having the off-screen husband who she is faithful to. <laughs> yes. You know, all of that stuff. I mean, in, in Mrs. Peel's case, I think her husband is, is disappeared, but, uh, but nonetheless, she is... Uh, lighting a candle for his return so yes the references are not all bond references even austin himself is more like jason king than he is like james bond jason king i i don't I, now that's a reference i don't get jason king was a a uh, british uh spy show that was in the early 70s um it was pretty short-lived 
but he was a very sort of frou-frou looking guy who wore these beautiful suits, had a fabulous moustache and poodle-like hair. Um, he was played <laughs> by an actor named Peter Wingard, who in the X-Men comics, the character Mastermind is named Jason Wingard because he dresses similarly. So Mastermind, <laughs> the X-Men villain, and Austin Powers both share a common ancestor in this very short-lived and pretty obscure, um, enduring from a fashion perspective, sort of TV spy. And yes, he was he was early 70s, so I guess technically it's the wrong reference altogether, but... Uh, but well, the, I mean, the I, the references are there, but they don't have to make sense in this movie, yes, right? No. <laughs> I guess, yes. I, I shan't start applying the standards of realism to uh, <laughs> This will fall apart really quickly <laughs> if we do. I do love the Electric Psychedelic Pussycat Swingers Club. This whole scene, fantastic. The go-go dancers, the plastic mini dresses, uh, the, the war hall of it all. I, I'm here for it. This yeah. is a fun setup to a scene. Uh, if only it didn't end with Big Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Big Boy was one of those things where, like, yes, there are sometimes American references that, as someone who had not to this point been living in in, in North America, I did not understand. Um, and Big Boy was certainly high up on the list. Like, we did not have Big Boy in uh, in the UK. Well, we did not have it here in Canada either. I only <laughs> only knew of it inconsequentially on the side uh, because I would travel to the States to see my dad's family. Right. So every once in a while you would see a big boy, but they are not, I don't even think they're very popular on the eastern seaboard. So uh, I, I didn't see it all that much growing up. But I guess that uh, that giant figure is fairly iconic. If, very if you true. Do know. Uh, did you ever eat at a big boy? Nope. <laughs> all right. <laughs> anyway. 30 years later, Dr. Evil's <laughs> capsule is seen re-entering Earth's atmosphere. The American military contacts British intelligence who reveal that Austin has also been frozen so that he can return when Dr. Evil returns. Uh, this is why we shouldn't scrutinise these things too seriously, <laughs> yeah. because this entire plot is so just gestural, basically. Like, like, what was what exactly was Dr. Evil's big plot? Right? Was he... what? Was he going to destroy the Swingers Club? Was that his big plan? Which he probably would have done when he launched that rocket uh, on top of the roof. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, was it just the waiter dressed as a woman? Was that his entire Was that the plan? Plot? Because- Why did he freeze himself? For what? Waiting for the return of... Wait, he was... Oh, yeah. It's all a mess. <laughs> like, the movie literally opens with him saying, none of you have succeeded in killing Austin Powers, so I'm going to take care of it, and I'm going to kill you all. And then he fails at it, too. And then he freezes himself for 30 years. And it's like, well... That feels like a bigger plan to freeze yourself for 30 years than anything else that you've been doing. What were you talking about in that meeting? Why didn't this come up? Right? Why wasn't there a plan for when you unfroze yourself in 30 years? Yeah. Um, it's all very strange. But again, strange. We're, we're taking these things ridiculously seriously. Um, <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. It's only because we're scrutinizing it that it even occurs that, that none of this makes any sense. Right. Uh, we do get to see a young, question mark, Clint Howard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, young in a relative... Like, yes, the guy has been in things since the 60s, I guess, so... Star Trek, famously, an episode, he plays uh, the alien uh, that has a giant green head. Uh, but how, how old is he in that? Because he's quite young in Star Trek. Oh, yeah, he's very young in that. He's probably eight or nine, I think. Okay. So this is conceivably quite a, you know... Or a but Clint that Howard still puts him in his 30s. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Relative to how we think of Clint Howard, this is a young Clint Howard. 
Um, <laughs> although I guess he is famous for also being younger than this. So, I don't right? Know. What am I saying? Uh, I don't. I don't. This this movie's fucking me up. <laughs> <laughs> it was a surprise. Clint Howard is there for no reason, and uh, and he's a different age than he is at the start and end of his career. And that is not. That is I am not a shocking. different age now than when this conversation started. <laughs> Uh, the colonel says London, England, and that's, that's a good chuckle. <laughs> I just, I, I wish they'd actually put it on the screen as England. Um, it, <laughs> I, it felt like they missed the joke there. As soon as he says England, and then the Chiron comes And then the, the cutscene, yeah, it should have absolutely spelled out England. England. Oh, man. There, there were a few missed jokes that we'll get to a bit later. Um, that is one of them. I did enjoy the split screen here, the feed my fishes gag, where we see him saying feed my fishes, <laughs> and we have a split screen showing someone feeding his fishes. Feeding the, and then oh, he not says, too much. Not too yeah. much, and someone scoops the fish food out again. That's very good, yeah. That's maybe my favorite right joke. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. That's, uh, yeah. There are some really good jokes on this, and I cannot wait to talk about some of them which are coming up. Austin is defrosted, and Basil introduces him to his new partner, Vanessa Kensington, the daughter of Mrs. Kensington. So here we are, the first appearance on screen of Miss Elizabeth Hurley. It only takes a powers woman 12 minutes to show up, which is uh, is a lot faster than most Bond women seem to get on the screen. But then again, this movie is about an hour shorter than That's a typical true. Bond film. That's true. So, oh, you know. I was so relieved when I saw this was 90 minutes long. Oh, right? <laughs> Barely eking in at 90 minutes. We, we don't even make comedies that short now. It's ridiculous. No. Like, comedies are perfect at 90 minutes. Right? This is just enough time to get the story in, get you out before you ask too many questions like we're doing right now. <laughs> Uh, I absolutely love the the un, the infantile Austin, uh, the decontamination shower from Doctor No slash this <laughs> cryogenic unfreezing scene. What was it about the '90s obsession with cryogenic freezing? Right, I feel like uh, the Terminator and Futurama and Star Trek all had cryogenic plot lines in the '90s. In the '80s, we were big into quicksand. In the '90s, it was cryogenic freezing. <laughs> right, of course. I don't know. It's very strange. I think in the '90s, it was the internet coming to life. Uh, yes, 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 of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this scene for me just went on and on and on. The whole sequence from him being defrosted to collecting his penis pump. Um, oh yeah, yeah, it is way too long. It's it's funny at first, definitely. Like you know, this was a hilarious scene as a child. The whole evacuation come, come, evacuation complete. <laughs> you know, a good piss gag. We love it. Um, I think the highlight, though, has to be when they, when Austin awakens and he's surrounded by the British, the American, and the Russian colonels, and they tell him that the Cold War is over. And he says, ah, well, finally, those capitalist pigs will pay for their crimes, eh, comrades? <laughs> and, and they're like, no, Austin, we won. <laughs> That is that is truly, I think, the greatest line in this film. I mean, it's certainly, if it's intended as a deep cut comment on uh, on the English spy system, then yes, that's <laughs> because so many communists hidden in the uh, the English espionage of of that era. So uh, yeah, it's entirely plausible. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think it was that deep a commentary, but you know, I really wish it were. <laughs> we do get to see some of the other people being kept on ice by British intelligence, including Gary Coleman, Evil. Mm -hmm. Evil, Vanilla Ice. I've noted Vanilla Ice as another incidental hottie, and not the real Vanilla Ice. But just the body playing him in the cryogenic yeah, the, chamber. The male yeah. model <laughs> with these these cut glass cheeks that is that is in the chamber is like, oh, 
Okay. <laughs> maybe we should have frozen vanilla ice. <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe we did. I mean, I haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> no, neither have I. I think he's on HGTV, actually. Oh, good for him. Yeah, yeah. He's building something. <laughs> a new life. <laughs> Uh, Liz Hurley, one of the best Bond girls to never appear in a Bond film, uh, <laughs> and the caliber of some of the bo- uh, of some of the Bond women of the '90s as well. I mean, she's certainly gorgeous beyond all imagining, and uh, and she does make every outfit look amazing, including some '90s outfits that, like, I even wrote one down where I'm like, "Oh, this looks great," and then later on, I'm thinking about it, I'm like, "That would it's look just terrible like a square cut else. black dress." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's not an interesting look, and yet... No, and yet she wears it perfectly. Yeah. Uh, oh my god, another great line in the scene. As long as people are still having anonymous sex with plenty of strangers <laughs> while experimenting with mind-expanding drugs in a consequence-free environment, I'm sound as a pound, baby. <laughs> I mean, everything about that is perfect. Particularly the fact that most of that, besides the pound part, has come around. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, it's been a very uh, uh, interesting, looking back at that movie from here... And the way that movie looks back on then, and it's like, are we in the 60s again now? Is that what's going on? Because Well, I mean, we are nearly as far from this movie as this movie was from 1967. Yeah, believe me, I thought about that a lot. <laughs> That's so scary. <laughs> Time the- is moving too fast, Andrew, and we need to figure out how to stop it. <laughs> like, the 30th anniversary of this movie will be 2027, and, like, I, I hope someone has, like, caught that and is, like, making an Austin Powers movie. I mean, I feel like Mike Myers has been teasing austin powers for for the last 20 years it's it's right. surely a matter of time everything comes back around eventually like they're making another indiana jones for god's sakes they're gonna oh, keep god. doing these things yeah <laughs> speaking of elizabeth hurley um the gender politics of this movie oof, ooh, ooh, that is, that oh, is yeah. another thing that falls in like it that, that falls neatly into that 30 years on from the 60s but 30 years back 30 from years, today wow we have come a long way baby <laughs> this movie thinks it's being progressive in the way that it treats the female lead and yet we look at it now and it's like wow that she is getting sexually harassed assaulted at within times. like a minute of meeting this person yeah and still is being charmed by it and in the end just succumbs to it and it's like well that's just the same thing as james bond but played for laughs ultimately. yeah and it and it definitely feels icky the whole playing yeah. it for laughs instead of treating it seriously uh i wrote already at this point it feels like liz is being a real trooper dealing with a very slimy seeming mike myers yes i can only imagine what it must have been like to be on this set i really hope that they were all laughing that they were all in on the joke yeah. But I don't know, Elizabeth Hurley is, I mean, famously a supermodel. I can't imagine that this was a very comfortable environment to be in sometimes. No, no. Um, though we did see when Liz Hurley was a guest judge on Drag Race, she is actually incredibly funny and Oh, smart. she is hilarious. She And so smart. And I follow her on Instagram and Twitter. And she is like, she yeah, she is absolutely a very intelligent, awesome person. Which is not to say that that eases any of the uncomfortableness of being in a situation like that. I, I no. only I only mean that she she may have been in on the joke. We don't know. That's right. It's all speculation from us. Sequence ends with the first of many laughing style transitions, some of which are fun and some of them are... Mm. Appropriative. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Somehow. <laughs> Why is Mike Myers obsessed with Indian sort of guru uh, culture? Like, what is that? So... I remember on, uh, I, I love A Hard Day's Night, and on the uh, Criterion Collection uh, DVD at the time that I owned, there was a 
documentary about the making of the film and its impact and mike myers featured heavily in in it because he was such a fan of the beatles of the 60s of bond i I remember like crying during his interview portion of this film because he's he said something along the lines of when a hard day's night ended i started weeping because i didn't want to be it to be over because i fell so in love with the beatles with these boys that i felt like i was there i was with them and i was having just as much fun as they were and i didn't want that to go away and it was so like it was such a beautiful poignant thing that he said at the end of this film so i i am just drawing a line that he is obsessed with that whole 1967 through 1969 yogi uh spiritual awakening lsd (laughs) psychedelic groove that was super popular in the culture and he it's almost like he's trying to keep that spirit alive but when you look back on it now you can just see how terribly appropriative it is it all is he's just another white guy taking someone else's culture for a laugh basically yeah all of that makes sense in the yes the the maharishi mahesh yogi was the spiritual guru of the beatles and therefore you can see that that being something that he would be very culturally aware of and something that he would maybe see as a sort of pathway to some sort of spiritual understanding himself but then he makes a movie like the love guru which i will say i've never seen um but i've never seen it because why would i <laughs> yeah i don't think you need to see it i think all you no. need to if if you've never seen the trailer like don't you don't even really need to subject yourself to it but essentially this film is just mike myers in brown face yeah uh, it has not aged well <laughs> at all. Yeah. And, and yeah, we do see the seeds here in, in the Ming Ti interstitials. We see him, you know, doing a, a yogic, uh, riff. And then later in the film, we see him wearing a turban when he goes undercover. And it's just, and it feels like this is just something he keeps coming back to. And it's always with a, like, a wink and a silly face just to make it all seem ridiculous. Yeah. And, which, to be fair, everything he does is with a wink and a silly face. I mean, well, yeah, I guess so. But, so so maybe it's... we should take it with a pinch, but no, absolutely not. It's racist. No. Yeah, <laughs> like if, <laughs> if he were doing blackface with a, with a wink and a silly face, it would still be... It would not make it any better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, in Nevada, Dr. Evil convenes his deputies, including Number 2 and Frau Farbissner, to launch his new plan to extort world leaders by stealing a warhead. Number two tells Dr. Evil that his organization has evolved into a corporation named VirtuCon. I mean, where to start with this? We get actual villain Robert Wagner uh, (laughs) in the film. Hashtag justice for Natalie Wood. Hashtag justice for Natalie Wood. Thank you very much. We have one of probably the most enduring gags uh, in this film, which is uh, Will Ferrell being roasted alive for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. We get the, some of the best Frau Farbissna work. We get some uh, Diana jokes that did not age well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, very quickly they would have gone off the boil, those jokes, I feel. Oh, within the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oof. Um, yeah, did that, did that get cut at any point and then restored? Or, hmm, I, I, I don't think so. I, yeah, they just kept that in. Because <laughs> one of the things I, I noted here is that you get, you get the Diana joke and you get the ozone hole joke, and then there <laughs> yeah. isn't a third example. And it's like, this is the, the fundamental comedy rule. You do three of everything. You, Thank you. This is, so this is the second of the jokes that were so easy that, they, I can't believe they missed London, England. This, there is a third. We, we at least have a rule of threes. 
<laughs> Thank God. Um, yeah, it was so weird to me that there wasn't a third example. Um, but maybe one of them was cut, or maybe it's because like a good third of this movie is improvised, so it's possible that... Yeah that none of it was scripted like in this scene it feels that way or that he had written down a bunch of examples and and like they probably recorded many many alternates and then picked two and it didn't occur to anyone to say no pick three yeah that well that's that's the (laughs) dingus thing about it why was no one in the room like oh i'm a comedy writer usually we do things in threes uh it feels (laughs) there's some janky editing in this film there's some janky writing and it is certainly on display at some points (laughs) we should say for those who are not who are not gay men and therefore less aware of what Robert Wagner uh, is, uh, is <laughs> are not gay men. blacklisted in the heart of all, all gay men for. Uh, Robert Wagner was married to the great Natalie Wood, who, of course, was Maria in West Side Story, is the sister of Lana Wood, who played Plenty O'Toole. Natalie Wood died by drowning when she fell off a yacht, um, and it is... It is not Highly known, alleged. It, it is not known what occurred on that yacht, but there have certainly been many theories, um, and one of them is that perhaps she fought with her husband and that he killed her. We don't know if that's true or not. We uh, Perhaps we choose to believe it. Um, it's certainly a, an ugly story, and Christopher Walken was also on that yacht, right? So That's correct, yeah. Both of them were involved in uh, an unknown way. Uh, lots of different stories. You can read all about it. We're not going to get too deep into it, but like uh, Andrew said, we... we Hashtag justice for Natalie Wood. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Seeing Robert Wagner in a movie always makes my heckle, hackles rise a little bit in the same way that I can't watch the Naked Gun movies anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm going to make everyone's hackles rise even more um, because obviously in, in looking at this movie, I, I made sure to look up a bunch of the cast and what I knew them from or what where they had gone, what had happened to them. I did not know that Frau Farbissner, aka Mindy Sterling, was the voice of Lin Bei Fong in The Legend of Korra. Um, oh. that, that elevates her to even higher heights in my mind because Lin Bei Fong is iconic. So thank you Mindy Sterling for creating uh, that role and, uh, and Frau Farbissner because yes, you are the, one of the highlights of this film. Yes. But I also looked up Random Task. Um, oh, yeah, this is not going to be a pleasant thing to talk about. So a trigger oh. warning here for anyone um, who is distressed by stories of violence against women. Um, I'm not going to go into deep detail here, but needless to say, the reason you do not see the actor Joe Sun in anything uh, anymore is that he is serving uh, life without parole in prison for things that he and another man did to a woman. Um, he did not kill the woman, uh, and the uh, statute of limitations had expired on the worst thing that he did to her, which was uh, a sexual assault, but he is in prison for torture, and he also killed another inmate while in prison, so he is definitely not coming out anytime soon. But oh my god. It's a truly horrific story that, you know, maybe maybe better not to know that stuff, honestly. Maybe I've just ruined a lot of people's enjoyment of this film. Um, but yeah, I was curious about this actor and where he had gone and what, what had happened to him, and it was the worst goddamn story. I mean, just really horrific. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and I and yeah, I can see why you'd want to know more about the character, because, I mean, Random Task, it's a good joke. Uh, yeah, it's an and... odd job reference, we should say. Everyone yeah. will, will know that from looking at him or just from the name random task uh but but if you don't know the movie yeah and we always want more representation of all peoples in films Mm -hmm. and oh yeah for that uh, story to end in such a tragedy like that oh my god yeah it's skin crawling Uh, absolutely 
not justice for Natalie Wood. Believe women. Justice for like women. Oh my God! Just yeah. It's like there's there's too many horrific criminals in this scene. Like real actual monsters <laughs> in this scene. Like, and we're not even talking about Mike Myers. My God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. But let's get back to some of the lightness of, of this movie, of which there is a lot. Uh, hijack some nuclear weapons and hold the world hostage, huh? That's virtually a quarter <laughs> of every Bond film, and it works here, too. Yes. It is a simple plot, and I am here for it. I think it's actually kind of a fun uh, twist on it. it. They they never dig deep into the ground in the Bond films, and they certainly do in this one. <laughs> that's true. And yes, it, they even reference that, oh, we'll steal a warhead like we always do. And it's yeah. Like, yeah, that's good. I like yeah, that yeah. joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the uh, the assassins around the table is named Paddy O'Brien, although it's spelled <laughs> Patty on the uh, ejector seat button. And Americans, please, for the love of God, stop spelling Paddy with a T. That is not how it is spelled. It is Paddy with a D. I know it's short for Patrick, but it, the Irish spelling of Patrick is with a D as well. It's Paddy <laughs> with a D. Um, but also, Patty O'Brien is not to be confused with another person named Paddy O'Brien, who, uh, again, gay men listening to this podcast may know Will the know, name. yeah. <laughs> um, other people may not know, and I suggest you not search for Paddy O'Brien with safe search off if there is anyone standing behind you. Um, but in the other hand... Uh, you may want to search for Paddy O'Brien because certainly it's uh, he's an eye-opening fella. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, opening something, that's for sure. <laughs> Austin and Vanessa fly to Vegas on a private jet and become better acquainted. Uh, this is another Bond trope, a little ahead of its time. Uh, we get a very <laughs> Eva Green-like response from Vanessa in the plane, where she just reads him to filth. And that was my favorite part of this scene. <laughs> <laughs> yes, not, not hard for that to be the, the best part, because otherwise the, like, like he's sexually assaulting her in this scene. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And we're supposed to laugh and laugh. And it's not funny, because it is disgusting behavior. Yeah, and at the end of the scene, she's, like, slowly coming around already, and, like, the the transition to her being charmed by his behavior is so like yes it's it's delivered in increments but the increments come so fast and at no point are any of them earned he's just he's increasingly gross and yet she is eroded by it for no reason that i can see and i know it's stupid for someone doing a james bond podcast I who loves know, james but- bond to be saying what's all this treatment of women but it's not stupid actually it's it's literally the reason we're doing this podcast is because we don't like it when james bond does it either that's exactly <laughs> right it is gross it is icky it men wrote this clearly no women were around to offer a perspective on what this might feel like i, mean, I think mike uh, myers is the only credited writer actually Oh, really? Well, please, as if he sat down and wrote this film all by himself. <laughs> well, it is 90 pages. Maybe he did. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, maybe it also is a Bond trope for the women to be seduced, charmed when they shouldn't be. But I don't feel like it was even a reference that they were doing here. It just it just felt like the story wanted us to believe that Vanessa actually finds this charming. And I do not. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it, you could see it as a reference to Bond if it weren't for the fact that this is kind of how all comedy was at this time and for a long time afterwards, that men could be gross and much more beautiful women uh, who have to re- remain poised at all times come to their, their gross charms. And it's like, that is, you're not subverting anything. That's literally what every comedy movie was doing. Yeah, um, try, trying to convince us that that's the way it should be. Yeah. 
um the, the only thing i liked in this scene was the purple wallpaper and the, <laughs> there was a lot of beautiful like we got a little bit more 60s like emilio pucci mm-hmm. uh designs and stuff that, that was gorgeous but at the same time i feel like it was supposed to look disgusting it was supposed to be like clashing and overly vibrant but i was just oh, looking no, at like I, oh yeah oh yeah i could have a room like that that's great we right we live <laughs> i feel like our like color palette worldwide has become a bit monochromatic so it's uh, just so lovely to see so many vivid colors popping off the screen and this movie isn't even hd they were doing this in like standard <laughs> definition andrew it looks gorgeous oh maybe you would have gone blind if you'd walked onto the set <laughs> probably oh yeah <laughs> Dr. Evil is introduced to his son, Scott, who is created in a lab from his cells. Scott resents his father for his absence. Uh, question, who didn't have a crush on Seth Green in 1997? Right? I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's sort of inexplicable to me looking back on it, because I look at him and he's like, there's nothing particularly remarkable about Seth Green. Like, he's not staggeringly handsome. No. Um you know he's a he's a short little ginger and i do like short and i do like ginger but uh, mm-hmm. at the same time maybe maybe that's seth green's fault uh, but yeah no, <laughs> i had a, i had an absolute crush on seth green um i i would have given it all up for seth green um, and it's yeah, oh absolutely it, i don't fully get it but i think it is partly because what if he, he embodies in this movie which is that he is the 90s kid through and through like oh yeah Baggy clothes, angry, bad music, bad hair. I love the recurring joke of every time he walks into the the meeting room, you hear a blast of terrible 90s rock coming <laughs> through the door. It's definitely a riff on Green Day. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that, that can't be, his bedroom can't be just off the meeting room, but yet sudden, somehow. It, uh, somehow it absolutely <laughs> is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Scott. Uh, evil is one of the better characters in this yes. film i think he's the only character who doesn't understand that he's in a movie and it just works <laughs> so well yeah. uh in vegas austin and vanessa settle in at their hotel they encounter number two at the blackjack table and his secretary alada fagina here we go <laughs> i mean okay let first we start with Mashkinada, which is a great not bond song i mean <laughs> it is like pure 60s pure joy pure brazil i love it <laughs> um and we also get an actual bona fide drag reference here in the montage we see a sign that says frank marino as joan as rivers. joan rivers yes um, i saw that too <laughs> so a real li- live drag queen being name checked really just incidentally on the screen but it did did lead me to sort of you know have a little mosey around looking at frank marino's career just because i was curious because i don't know much about him but you know the the thing about vegas drag queens is that they they are mostly female impersonators. Like that is yes. the thing they do in Vegas, which is why a lot of the Vegas queens that are show appear on shows like Drag Race have boys' names because that is how you are billed. You are not billed as a woman's name. You are billed as a man's name as the person you impersonate. Derek Barry as Britney Spears. Yes, Derek Barry as Britney Spears. Chad Michaels as Cher. Other other Bond uh, podcasts do not give you these fascinating deep dives into the world of into drag. RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I absolutely love that uh, both Vanessa and Austin pull the same gun out of their bags. And then, <laughs> I mean, I know it's just another dick joke in a movie with a million dick jokes, but that Vanessa goes back and pulls out like an actual gun yes. is, you know, it's a great visual gag. I love it. I'm given to understand that it is a Walther PPK that they... That they yes, they do. Yeah, yes. So that in itself is a Bond reference. And I will never not tire of the unassuming names of Richie Cunningham and Oprah. (laughs) I I think that is one of the best jokes in the film. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's it's a certainly a really interesting combination and uh, i like that it's played straight like no one's like questioning no later one questions on it. the yeah. fact that alotta later calls him mr cunningham <laughs> yes, as I, if she believes it i almost thought that was funny yeah <laughs> um should we get into a lot of vagina so to speak um, i mean it's a good joke it is and it is it, it's two uh bond girls in one essentially Right? Yes, yes, it's a pussy galore joke. It is also a plenty of tool joke, I would say. She also is very much in the model of Fiona Volpe, I think. From yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, I think, I think if you were to pick a Bond girl that she is trying to be, then Fiona Volpe is, you know, Italian, sixties. Like, that's one of the confusing <laughs> things about Alotta is that she feels like a sixties character as well in a movie set in the nineties. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> like, very, why, very strange. Why is she a throwback? That doesn't totally. But, <laughs> but it's again, it's a thing you. Do, it doesn't occur to you at all until you're later sitting down going like wait a second <laughs> <laughs> yeah a lot of vagina it's it's cute <laughs> it's it's crass but it's cute there's another preemptive reference uh to james bond in this film where number two's eye patch is actually an x-ray eye patch and you can see the cards that literally happens two years later in the world is not enough uh so did the Bond writers steal from this film? I mean, we know they stole uh, Spectre from from, <laughs> from the Austin Powers did. series. <laughs> we, oh, do we need to get into that? Uh, but, I mean, Daniel Craig is... Ha- oh, we'll get into it. We'll get into later. it. We'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Austin is a terrible gambler. I kind of like that. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, so in a movie where Austin is not very good at uh, many things, uh, the one thing... Th- well, he says that cards aren't his bag, baby. Yes. The one thing that we know is his bag is penis pums. It feels like that there's pretty much only one thing Austin is good at, and it is, you know, enhancing his libido uh, <laughs> through engineering. <laughs> I'm I'm given to understand those things don't actually work, but I haven't looked into it in depth, so you know, <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Uh, <laughs> or that it is a a temporary cosmetic alteration, shall we say? There you go. There yes. you go. Yes. <laughs> it's, um, it's a momentary tool and not a long term investment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This is uh, this is where we get Austin's most iconic look, maybe the red velvet suit and lace cravat. Do you think he has a blue velvet variation? In the third act, he certainly wears a variation of this. So yeah, but certainly this sort of velvet suit, lace cravat, um, and he's wearing a a male symbol necklace that I had to to squint at <laughs> to be sure that it wasn't a cock ring around his neck. Um, it's not, I, you know, it, it. I don't think it's a good look, but I don't think it's meant to be, and it's certainly the iconic austin look and it doesn't look like something bond would wear except except that it is essentially something that bond wears that it is his <laughs> yeah george lazenby and on his majesty's secret service wears something quite similar um certainly the cravat the lace shirt is is uh inspired by that you know, apart from that he's wearing a scottish highland outfit with the kilt and the the short uh tuxedo i coat. mean i'm i'm confused uh if Mike, Mike Myers is so proud of his Scottish heritage. <laughs> Why did he not fight for Austin to walk in there also wearing a kilt like yeah. Lazenby did? It yeah. feel, uh, this is another missed gag. You know, the, the kilt looks better than the suit, it has to be said. Mm-hmm. Agreed. <laughs> we're, we're recording this on no pants days. So. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's true. Oh, wow, yeah. That's so funny. I am not wearing pants, but I had no idea that it was no pants day. I haven't worn pants for a year. I mean, really. <laughs> I haven't either, and I work in public service. It has raised some eyebrows. Uh, 
Austin visits the restroom where an assassin, Patty O'Brien, makes an attempt on his life. Austin drowns him in the toilet. This is a long scene which can mostly be cut. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, again, this is not the Patty O'Brien that you would hope to meet in a men's restroom. Oh, uh, certainly not. <laughs> it is a different Patty. But there are movies that feature the other Patty O'Brien in a men's restroom. I promise you. Um, Five stars. Uh <laughs> If you are a cis straight man who fancies himself a Tom Arnold type, don't you ever fucking talk to me in a public <laughs> washroom, particularly once that door is closed. I don't want to hear a peep from you. Right? Uh, <laughs> Disgusting. Yeah. I don't need encouragement. <laughs> why is Tom Arnold in this? I mean, we know why Tom Arnold. This, this is a series that gets heavy into uh, cameos in the second and third installments. There aren't a lot of them in this first one. Um, and some of the ones that there are are sort of just like, I mean, I guess it's Why? just like yeah. friends of the, friends of the show. <laughs> <laughs> friends of the pod. Uh, like, drag Tom Arnold in. Sure. He can do a scene, but like, you're right. This could have been cut. Like, as many other scenes were cut and we will get to yes. a cameo that was cut later in the, uh, the episode. Oh, I'm excited about that. I mm-hmm. don't know anything about mm-hmm. that. <laughs> so, Dr. Evil threatens the United Nations with destruction if they do not pay him $100 billion, though initially his bid is $1 million. $1 million, dollars. of course. Uh, this is so crazy racist that it is almost <laughs> funny, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's that thing where it's like, well, we're being offensive to everyone, so it's okay. Like- yeah, I mean, it's not, but <laughs> it kind of is. Like, there's a Mountie, there appears to be a Geisha out there. There's, yeah, there's a Beef Eater, a Sumo Wrestler, a Highland, uh, Piper, I think. A, uh, a Swiss guard. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's insane that the, U- that the UN has a war room filled with these characters. <laughs> that is basically the It's a Small World After All right from, from Disney. <laughs> just, just decamped into a, into a Doctor Strange love meeting room. <laughs> so insane. I, I mean, and also, this scene used to be funny to me but the cracks are really starting to show at this point for me i there okay all of these unnamed faceless laughing gangsters for none of them are any like hench look like henchmen that we want to see all of the henchmen we've seen so far have been like you know fancily dressed or had you know something about them these are just like white people in suits one of them <laughs> literally looks like dead eyed into the camera at one point as if he'd never been in a movie before who are these producers and who let this scene go to the floor like this honestly though i I guess because I'm coming at this movie from so long after the fact of not having seen it in a long time, I, I interpreted it two ways. One was that sometimes, for some reason, Blofeld does always seem to have a bunch of white men in suits. Yeah, yeah, this like, is true. Sometimes he has Italian mobsters mm-hmm. surrounding him, and, and you know, <laughs> it's explained, but not it's not part of the plot that you care about. Um, <laughs> but also, just like the maybe it was the corporate angle that, like, the fact that VirtuCon is now a big corporation. Oh, and the idea course, that yeah. the people who are laughing at evil or a bunch of white men in suits i'm like okay okay uh, that actually works wow i did not think that deep (laughs) that could be but actually you know you're probably right and i'm being weirdly uncharacteristically generous to this (laughs) wow what happened where did we switch (laughs) somewhere in the second act shane and andrew switch bodies and (laughs) straight Uh, Vanessa warms to Austin as they spend time together in Vegas. She gets drunk and tries to kiss him, but he refuses to take advantage of her. Does Austin actually understand some concept of consent? <laughs> right? Is is that what we're saying? 
that was so surprising yes absolutely it was like oh my goodness we were actually this evolved in the 90s it sort of makes the rest of the movie look worse in a way even like, worse like he got he gets it and he chooses to treat her <laughs> that way but yeah i totally was not expecting him to say no love you're drunk i'm not going to take advantage of you and like whoa whoa like there are movies made after this that would not have that level of respect so and also the scene is quite sweet like there the, is you know he she says if you're not going to kiss me tell me about my mother and he he starts you know waxing lyrical about this woman that he loved and loved sort of you know semi-romantically platonically but he was in love with mrs kensington and and he never did anything about it um it also makes this whole thing creepy oh very very i kind of wish that they would have explored that plot line a bit more because it definitely had some meat on the bones and we never ever pick up on it again nope. i mean obviously in austin powers 2 for you know reasons that will become obvious when we cover <laughs> that film in a year's time uh, <laughs> uh i i mean i love the gag where he wakes up naked and you know he's holding tea and doing his squats and she's playing with a magnifying glass that happens to be there for absolutely no right. reason so stupid um but any excuse for more mimi rogers in this film and i would take it mimi rogers with like a streak of talcum powder put in her hair <laughs> yes look. exactly she is nine years older than elizabeth hurley and she's playing her mother <laughs> that is so rude that is very rude <laughs> that's um, so hollywood though <laughs> <laughs> we uh we get to see burt Bacharach in this scene oh, like so michael great. york according to wikipedia is not a homosexual uh, come again <laughs> what <laughs> I'm, I'm so confused honestly there are some people in life you just go through life assuming they're homosexuals and it's like nope is this what straight people are like all the time <laughs> <laughs> is this what it feels like to be a straight person walking right? through this world i have no idea liberace was gay <laughs> uh, i absolutely love this 60s style montage of vegas yep. the incredible zoom lens on his camera that when he starts <laughs> taking pictures of her uh when it when she's like oh i haven't had this much fun in ages and he's like oh well i'm sorry why austin well i'm sorry that bug up your ass had to die that's a really good line <laughs> At the same time, though, this is like Vanessa now is so warm to him and so like ready Why? to. Yeah. What has happened? Nothing has happened. What has changed? Any of this. He's, like, been a fool. He has assaulted her. There's no reason why she should be enjoying this, other than the fact that she's had too much champagne. Anyway, because she's falling for him, it is now time for a setback. So, Austin breaks <laughs> into Alotta's penthouse apartment to find information about Virtucon. He takes photos of the blueprints for a drill device called Project Vulcan. Obviously, I was excited. Uh... <laughs> I will once again plug my other podcast, Worse than the Borg, where we discuss all things Vulcan. <laughs> uh, and I love another You Only Live Twice reference with so uh, a lot of penthouse uh, looking very much like Henderson's penthouse in that film. Yeah. Um, and there's just a lot of the uh, the decor here is is from that movie and even a line in the next scene oh my god literally Um, amazing yeah so yeah the 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 sort of the japan fetishism of bond films um has been brought authentically through into this (laughs) uh is it knowing or is it just the same fetish who knows Uh, but but here we are with a very familiar looking uh, apartment with with of course a very beautiful looking onsen bath um for them to indulge an incredible fashion choice for a lot of here her black and white dress and this gigantic hair <laughs> <laughs> again i mean this is the point i think where it clicked for me that like wait this woman is from the 60s yes what exactly is, how is this happening um i i 
do like the fact that uh, we get to see another Moonraker camera here. Like, it's a very similar camera to the <laughs> yes, one that we've yes. just seen in Moonraker. Um, <laughs> I, I, I did like the joke, actually, in, in the previous scene, while we were on the subject of technology, the fact that mm-hmm. the AOL video technology... Um, oh, my God. <laughs> ...is actually less sophisticated than the video technology that we saw in the 60s scene. Because in the 60s scene, when he's talking to Michael York... Uh, Perfectly clear definition in the Jaguar. Yeah, because we're in a spy movie back then, so therefore there is technology that is more advanced than the 60s. But when we come to the 90s, suddenly it's the technology of the 90s, and it's less advanced oh than, my God. than the spy technology. And like that, I thought, was a very clever bit of writing. That is, wow. <laughs> so, the, you know, few and far between, but when, <laughs> when they get it right, they get it right. Uh, Alada seduces Austin, and she discovers his true identity. Uh, and as you said, we get a line that is literally lifted <laughs> from the film You Only Live Twice. Be- I'm guessing because it is so horrible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is, of course, in Japan, men come first and women come second. Which here has an added rejoinder where Austin says, if at all. Um, yes. Which maybe maybe does add something of value to that terrible line um, I, I guess so uh, <laughs> I certainly had to recall after he said that was that in the film as well it, it, <laughs> I, I don't think so but certainly I, you could imagine either of Tiger Tanaka or James Bond or saying, James Bond saying that uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this was the first time I'd ever heard of sake I was 11 years oh. old and I just did not know it, exist, it existed uh, and th- I guess that began, began a long fascination with sake see I think the first time I heard of sake was seeing You Only Live Twice so. <laughs> of course that makes sense well, which of course existed in the world before this movie so I saw them in that uh, order no. <laughs> Well, I, I was young, Andrew. I was very, very, very young when this movie... So young. Practically a baby. Shut up! How <laughs> <laughs> dare you! <laughs> um, when she says thank you, that was beautiful, to his fart poem, I, I, I just... <laughs> so confused in that moment. Like, I guess she's really playing him, but, I mean, it, that is hard to believe. <laughs> Why does she need to know that he's Austin Powers? Like, is it a mystery that he's Austin Powers? I, I know he's there under an assumed guise, but also he's clearly Austin Powers. Like, yeah, like there's there's only <laughs> one, and he's world famous super secret spy. Yeah, yeah, there are photos. <laughs> Alotta's wig is terrible. Her bosom is amazing. Um, oh so... my god, incredible! It's literally <laughs> floating on top of that hot tub. At really, like uh, as a gay man, I don't t- pay a lot of attention to bosoms, but this. How could I you did, not? Though <laughs> I did stop and go. My goodness, those. Those breasts are phenomenal. So I mean, um, she is a really gorgeous, gorgeous woman. <laughs> yes, she is. Uh, let's let's name check the actress here. Fabiana Udenio uh, played a lot of vagina. I don't know that she's done much else, which makes her a classic uh, Bond woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Evil plots to destroy Austin Powers with the use of beautiful robotic assassins named Fembots. This was the movie that, that really popularized that term, but apparently it was first used in the bionic woman. There is another word for huh. uh, robots made in the form of a woman, which is gynoid. I don't like oh, that word. No, that's horrible. I hate <laughs> right? that. That's really unpleasant. So fembot is actually the, feels like the more progressive word than gynoid. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, all of this is so camp. It's so drag. It's so Nancy Sinatra. So, I mean, we're literally, they're playing Nancy Sinatra. In scene, <laughs> and we, we got a, a revival of Nancy Sinatra's music that came out after this, this movie, I think. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, I, I discovered Nancy Sinatra as a musical artist, I think, because of this this movie 
pushing her back into the public consciousness. So I'm forever grateful for that. But yes, the styling is very Nancy. Uh, there's a little bit of Barbarella in here as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like, like oh, I, yeah. I like the movie that this comes from. Really, like the, the, this feels like this belongs to a, a movie that I would have enjoyed more in a way. Agreed, agreed. I kind of want to see the Fembot film more yeah. than I want to see the Austin Powers <laughs> film. So Austin is equipped with some gadgets to pursue Doctor Evil. Um, he then attacks Basil's mother because he thinks that she's ugly. Ooh. I'm going to say this is the, this is the nadir of the movie for me. This is the oh, lowest yeah. of low points because just, why have a moment of attacking a woman because she's ugly? Like it's it's paying back to the earlier joke about uh, a man dressed as a woman uh, to be an assassin. Didn't like it then, so don't like it being paid tri- tribute to again here. But also, it's just he's just beating up an old woman because he thinks she's ugly in front of a character who, as you say, is the lightness in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I, it look where, where I defended the first one. Uh, this one is indefensible. This is a really hard scene to watch, right? Yeah. It like it. I mean, props to the actor who plays Basil's mother because she seems like she's really in pain in this. Right. And yeah, it's like really disturbing. I do not like this at all. And then they follow it up with the brown face interstitial, the one we talked about, oh, where he, yeah. where Austin is doing a very yogi esque pose. Uh, yeah, it's like that's it's two minutes of this movie that we should have just snipped away. Why? Oh, why didn't we just focus on more like Q gadget? like jokes that right. would have been so much more fulfilling and the one that they did have was so good the the whole toothpaste and floss gag so so hilarious end it there that's all we need i mean as an englishman with cavities i i don't <laughs> think these jokes are funny but you know funny <laughs> <laughs> hey look i also am an englishman partly with uh, horrible horrible teeth i get it but it's you know sometimes there's truth and comedy and comedy and truth <laughs> why can't we have more jokes about how sexy our accents are i mean really <laughs> Well, like I said, there's truth in comedy and there's comedy in truth. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to some actual funny stuff. Right. Because oh the next God. scene, Dr. Evil and Scott attend father-son group therapy. That's the full extent of the recap section for this scene. Because this what? Oh, Carrie Such Fisher. a good scene. Carrie Fisher, awesome in an uncredited role as the therapist. Uh, this whole scene is just very funny and the father-son stuff I really love. Like I think it's yeah. really good. Yeah, it like it it's it uh, beautifully touching to watch all of these like men bonding and then you cut to Dr. Evil. Actually, the details of my life are quite inconsequential. <laughs> I mean, that whole speech about Summers in Rangoon uh and shaved scrotum ritualistically by an Austri- Aust- Austrian woman. Oh my god. It, it it's a great monologue. The be- one of the funniest monologues. It's so good. Like Seth Green is great here. The the friction between these two characters I live for because it is the be- like it's the best James Bond joke in in the whole yeah. thing. I feel like, um, but also Doctor Evil like his monologue does feel like Ian Fleming. Like there is something. I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> very Fleming esque about that origin story that he recounts. Even though it then like it gets away from him in wild style, like the roots of it feel like this is a man who has read Fleming and knows what a a Fleming villain's uh, backstory is. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those scenes that. That, uh, Mike Myers had a real handle on. He knew what he wanted to do with this character. He knew how he wanted to portray him, and he knew exactly which references to hit. Uh, and I guess now is a good time to kind of talk about, you know, the future of the Doctor Evil and Austin characters versus the future of the Bond and <laughs> right. Blofeld characters. So. 
Daniel Craig said it. Austin Powers ruined James Bond <laughs> for James Bond. The fact that they that the gold member revealed that Austin and Doctor Evil were brothers far, far, far before Spectre did it. I mean, that is a punch in the face. Why, oh why, did Purvis and Wade include that in the script for Spectre? It's staggering. Like it's it's the thing that makes Spectre a failed movie for me. I mean, yeah. I, I don't love Spectre generally. I don't think it's a particularly good uh, you know, for, as someone who likes all the bad Bond movies, Spectre is the one where I'm like, uh, do mm, I? It's kind of, yeah, it's not actually, <laughs> it's it's not as fun as the other bad ones, yeah. And and to an extent, a huge part of it is just that the Blofeld and Bond are secretly brothers thing is just awful. Oh, like, it's so so, awful. so stupid. Like, it's not needed. It doesn't enhance either character. Like, it, it actually weakens them both. Yeah. Um, and what, why do it? Like, why would you not look at that and say, oh, this is the most hacked writing we could possibly come up with? Let's maybe... Literally, you have an example of this story being used in a spoof of yes. your own movie. Like, <laughs> so how could you not... Uh, it's, it, this is one of the most frustrating things about the latter Daniel Craig movies, is how ham-fisted the storyline felt at, in the third act of both that and Skyfall. Shoddy. Um, <laughs> I will give the exact Daniel Craig uh, quote. Uh, he said, we had to destroy the myth because Mike Myers fucked us. I'm a huge <laughs> Mike Myers fan, so don't get me wrong, but he kind of fucked us, made it impossible to do the gags. So mm -hmm. specifically for Daniel Craig, he, his feeling was that his Bond films couldn't be funny the way that the previous Bond films had been funny because of Austin Powers which in some ways was a strength of the the reboot but at the same time I think you and I both feel like we could get back there now like, yeah I, I don't want to go full Roger Moore but you know Sean Connery had some gags and and even Pierce Brosnan has some there are some good gags and jokes in those films that yeah. are that you'd certainly miss in some of the darker elements of Quantum of Solace Inspector Back to the LARFs. Uh, <laughs> uh, one more line from that scene. Actually, the boy's quite astute. I really am trying to kill him. I, I really love how straightforward <laughs> this whole scene is. And yeah. that Carrie Fisher is just sitting there like, okay, well, uh, time's up. <laughs> you do quite a good Dr. Evil. Oh, thank you. I, I've been working on it since 1997. <laughs> I was going to say, like, growing up with it means probably you were doing this in the playground, right? Oh, a hundred percent. When I say this was one of the most quoted films in my lifetime, watching this movie, I... I I mean, poor Lucas was watching it beside <laughs> me, and I was just saying every line half a second before oh. I said in the film. I felt really bad. Oh, you are a monster. <laughs> Never. I know, I know. I'm not a great person to watch a film with. <laughs> Maybe we should stay in our homes a little longer. Right? <laughs> How dare you? You would love the experience. You know you would be doing the same thing. Not for this. Uh, okay, Austin tells Vanessa that he slept with Alata. She is disgusted and explains that she expects him to be monogamous if they are to get together. Oh, well, here is another thing that has not aged well, huh? <laughs> yeah, we, we are coming back around on promiscuous sex and non-monogamy uh, in the <laughs> 2020s. Um, and it, it feels very strange that like the 90s now, the, the sexual politics of this movie feels passe. Backwards, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only sailors use condoms, baby. <laughs> well, not in the 90s. Well, they should, dirty sailors, going from port to port. I mean, that's horrible. That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, that's queer content, baby. That is queer content, yeah. Yeah, it's so strange how, like you said, the tables really have turned. We are we are really regressing, progressing. I'm not sure. We're going somewhere. I mean, we are again. We are queer people, so our sexual politics are not the mainstream sexual politics. Mm. But I do feel like 
the the youth, the the kids, um, fellow youth. Um, they, <laughs> yes, yes. We are moving towards definitely a more sixties idea, and and partly that is because there is a sort of sense of sexual liberation again, and partly it is because we are living not in a post HIV era, but in an era where HIV is more manageable and uh, less easily contracted. I think that plays a big role in in the sort of the swing of the culture. And then on top of that, we're about to open the world back up in the next uh, year to two years. Uh, Promiscuous sex and mind-expanding drugs in a consequence-free environment? (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) Anything to get us off the Zoom calls. I mean, really. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Austin goes drinking alone. He realizes he does not fit into this new age. And I find this probably the most strangely touching and almost uh, the most grounded that the character gets in the entire film. I yeah. really love Austin catching up with the last 30 years. There's some real pathos in this scene and it's like a little nugget of an idea here that, oh, he's actually a dream. Now that Vanessa has said no to him and Vanessa reminds him of the woman that he loved. And how lonely he is. Yeah, he, he realizes now how cut off he is. And it's like, this is actually the the soul of the movie, this scene, and yet it's so it's very brief and it very quickly goes into jokes, the pump shoes and the, the combat yeah. discs. Do pump shoes still exist? Am I am I now too old that I remember these and they don't exist anymore? I d I don't know. I mean <laughs> I mean I guess I'm not young enough to buy pump shoes, so how the fuck would I know? <laughs> um and although I am very young at heart, I also am not I'm <laughs> I, I don't remember the last time I bought a fashionable shoe, my goodness. <laughs> Which I'm assuming these were at the time. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> okay, I mean, it's dark, and it's really rude, and as someone who absolutely loves the artist, it kills me that I love it, but when he's listing off people who, uh, who he knows who have died, uh, Jimi Hendrix, Overdose, Mama Cass, Ham Sandwich, I mean, that's that's... <laughs> That's terrible, but that's a good laugh. <laughs> Fine. Uh, I, I do think, like, Austin with his notebook here did put me in mind of, of another man uh, frozen in the past and defrosted in the present day. Captain America and Austin Powers <laughs> had very similar storylines. Not just that they were both frozen and defrosted, um, but also that they, they have a romance of sorts with the younger generation of their old previous love um very weird very weird crossover event and the carters uh there is some there's some weird comment and it's like this doesn't make sense to me like is this a straight thing the idea that if you get frozen in time and you wake up years later you'll meet the gorgeous young granddaughter of the person you love that's fucked up right the niece like this is not right (laughs) yeah guys this is not right this is also like in hook where uh Peter Pan falls in love oh, with Maggie yeah. Smith, and then he comes back and he falls in love with her daughter. It, it's all just, ew, it seems like family kind of stuff, and I don't like it. <laughs> Let it go, guys. Let it go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, you need some therapy, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the next day, Austin and Vanessa break into VirtuCon HQ, but they are swiftly apprehended. And Dr. Evil invites them for dinner, where he explains <laughs> to the spies that he will use the warhead-equipped drill to trigger the world's volcanoes, even if his demands are met. He puts Austin and Vanessa in a death trap. I mean, everything you just said sounds exactly like th- at least three Bond films, so this <laughs> is a good reference. Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, we we get a famous gay first off at VirtuCon headquarters, uh, Patrick Bristow, uh, who many people will remember from the Ellen Show. Uh, he was one of their very few visible queer people on TV in the '90s, so it is absolutely awesome to see him on the big screen. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of other gay people would have noticed him at the time. Yes, it's good to see actual gays on the screen um, playing characters that are coded gays. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we do get the uh, the guru disguise leading into this. Uh, this this dinner Uh, scene Um, we've talked about it enough I guess Uh, the villain's lair I found really interesting because it's actually way less spectacular than a James Bond villain lair like it it might just be a a real location that they filmed in for the look of it like it's oh yeah it just looks like a factory um, yeah (laughs) for a steam like a steam uh, power engine something (laughs) the, the chocolate factory in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was more glorious than this like the Every in Fleming secret base is more glamorous and gorgeous than this. Yeah, I f- there's a lot of the last half of the movie that feels like we started to run out of budget. Yes, I think you might be right. <laughs> um, we get the steamroller gag here, which I do think is a comedy classic. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. That injures the, the, the man screaming, no, stop, stop, and the steamroller heading towards him very slowly. From about half a mile away, yes. And it, <laughs> it's a joke that is funny because it goes on too long with Elizabeth Hurley screaming, get out the way. <laughs> No. Uh, and I, the actor, I want to say Mike McDonald from uh, Mad TV, of course. Oh, okay. The cutscene that I referred to earlier is, is from here. This is where <gasps> there was a scene of uh, the man who was crushed by the steamroller. His wife gets a phone call um, and his wife is played by the legendary acting genius Lois Childs. What? Uh, <laughs> so you can actually watch that on YouTube. I can see you clicking the link. Um, maybe don't watch it now, Shane. <laughs> no, um, no, I won't. I, <laughs> well, I can see a preview and yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh my God. I'm watching Cut away scene where Lois Childs gets a phone call telling her that her husband uh, has been killed is at work and telling uh, her son that, uh, that his stepfather is not coming home and it's like it's a nice little bit of commentary on the way that goons are treated in these types of movies and also you know it's a chance to see Lois Childs who is family after all Oh, absolutely. Uh, is she just as good in this film as she is in Moonraker? I mean, maybe better. Maybe better. Oh, wow, maybe not, okay. but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the stakes weren't as high, so we would never know. Uh, <laughs> Scott, once again, the most sane person in all of this. What? Are you feeding him? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, he's he's playing the, the part of the audience, critiquing all the tropes, tropes of spy fiction, which... You know, we've we realized the flaws of the, the, the villain inviting his uh, his nemesis for dinner and then putting him in an escapable death trap and not sticking around to watch whether or not he escapes from it. But these are worldly people with things to do. I mean, <laughs> of course they're going to have dinner and leave their goons to do the rest of the work. I'm more than happy for us to point out that these tropes are silly and to then just keep repeating them over and over again. I don't care. I love them. I love a dinner scene. <laughs> yes, me too. villain and nemesis. I will always love them. And I've written many of them in my own work, so... <laughs> Uh, and I, I just love the quasi-futuristic clothes. I mean, these this silver dress and silver <laughs> suit are so stupid, straight out of both somehow Doctor No and Moonraker, yes. I want to say. <laughs> there, there are not a lot of Roger Moore references, but these did feel like a little bit Roger Moore-ish. Uh, but also, yes, Sean Connery-esque as well, because Sean Connery is all over this film. Oh, yeah. It stinks of Sean Connery. <laughs> 
Austin and Vanessa escape the easily escapable death trap, and Austin tells Vanessa that he is ready to become a one-woman man. Vanessa leaves to get reinforcements while Austin tries to stop the drill. We have here almost exactly the uh, the live and let die um, death trap of the the character being tied to a just a pendulum basically hanging <laughs> over water <laughs> like it's oh yeah it, it's a very close uh in this case a very close roger moore reference i mean i get it i have bad teeth that's great uh first that he plans to soil himself before they do anything also really love that <laughs> uh but i hate that he comes to the conclusion that heteronormativity is the answer <laughs> no it is not austin you don't need to change who you are for anyone <laughs> This movie is forcing us down a 90s uh, relationship path that does not serve either Bond movies or Austin Power movies well because there is going to be another movie. Uh, <laughs> we get to see Austin's Kung Fu fighting stance that feels like he lifted it directly from Dr. Kananga again in Live and Let Die. Um, oh, yeah. I believe there's another deleted scene here where, where Rob Lowe is is like the best friend of the guy who gets his head eaten off. I have not looked for that deleted scene yet. but uh, Oh, interesting. Very interesting that Rob Lowe comes back in the next film as yes. uh, number two. Yeah. Hmm. Austin is cornered by the fembots who attempt to seduce him. He resists their charms and uses his own seductive powers to cause them to self-destruct. I mean, I guess this is the an iconic <laughs> scene. This is the the mojo coming in. I, I guess so. I on my on this rewatch, I realized I really prefer the fembot introduction to the fembot destruction scene yes <laughs> um but i mean if there's one thing that would eke this out above the other it's when he holds up the cigarettes like a fan and throws them into their mouths <laughs> maybe that's my kink as someone who stopped smoking <laughs> but that i just fucking love I'm just looking for a man to throw a cigarette into your mouth oh yeah usually like an ashtray <laughs> like he throws it in the wrong way <laughs> like yes. he throws it lit end first and it lands with the filter in their mouth i know get it <laughs> yeah it is a shame that the fembots uh, are forced to self-destruct by his irresistible sexual prowess but so it goes but yes i do love these sexy robot assassins in their baby doll lingerie oh and we also get a queer moment <laughs> we do we do we have one of the male guards who is not immune to austin's mojo so that's something <laughs> That, you know, I'll take what I can get in uh... some would say queer joke rather than queer moment but okay you know yeah, <laughs> we we see what we choose to see sometimes. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and this is technically an arc for Austin. The fact that he is he has sworn his allegiance to uh, Miss Kensington and immediately has his resolve tested by a, a, a bevy of beautiful babes. Um, that's what constitutes an arc in a comedy movie. So, uh, good so job. there it is. Yeah, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Vanessa leads the British soldiers into the lair and a gunfight ensues. Austin deactivates the drill without a second to spare and uh, and Vanessa believes him that he has been faithful in spite of the temptation. So, arc completed. Um, three minutes and counting. This is the <laughs> nichest of niche James Bond jokes yes. because it is the exact delivery of uh, Diamonds Are Forever that has that exact cadence Oh yeah. accent. Three minutes and counting. So, Austin pursues Dr. Evil, who claims that Austin's free love philosophy is considered evil in this day and age. Austin counters that he prefers this modern age where freedom is tempered with responsibility. Which is strange, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, I mean, this movie... 
I feels like it kind of wants to mention the AIDS epidemic without ever mentioning it. Am right. I right? Without ever um, earning the right to talk or about it. Or earning it. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no, no reason why this should be what we're talking about. And yet, there's like three instances in this movie where Austin's like, well, we were very promiscuous and look where that led us. And that is also so reductive and wrong. Yes. Tell us, tell us, Austin, what's wrong with with uh, promiscuity? What's wrong yeah, with uh, with open relationships or non monogamous relationships? Exactly, Austin. I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no answer. Oh, okay, I see. <laughs> hmm. Um, yeah, the <laughs> it's a it's an an evolution of philosophies that we have evolved from again. I think where he says, "Oh, we've learned responsibility," and I think well, is that word just a cover for the word respectability? Mm, is, exactly. Is that. that what you mean? And and where would accountability uh, fall into this context? Because that's really what we've learned uh, in in thirty years since Austin Powers, which is you should be held accountable for your actions. So that's not responsibility. That's more than that. That's yeah. Well, we're know. just starting to learn that. We're, we've hardly learned that. Yes. <laughs> and yes. so yeah. Exactly. This is a continuing evolution, I guess, of this conversation. Yeah. But yeah, if looking back, this feels so ooh, yikes backwards. <laughs> Um, we do get some good lines here, though, uh, which the, just the fact that he uses the we're not so different, so you and I. <laughs> yeah. like, so dumb. Uh, all right, Baldy, shut your cake hole. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> and and the revelation, I had the group liquidated, you little shit. They were insolent. It's, it's, yes. it's sad. Like, I felt very, very sad for Carrie Fisher in that moment when I was a child, <laughs> realizing what that meant. <laughs> yes, the, the father-son group is no more. Um then again, Dr. Evil's not great at killing people, so maybe they all escaped. They might have all survived, <laughs> that's true. Uh, n- speaking of surviving, number two betrays Dr. Evil because his supervillainy is undermining his corporate greed, so Dr. Evil kills number two. Uh, kind of sinister, Robert Wagner <laughs> walking around with a dead body in a suitcase, not right? gonna lie. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's a fembot, but... You know, maybe fan lots of people too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, as someone who has been accused of murder, that's just not a look I would want. <laughs> yeah, like, it is a woman's body in a suitcase. You did kill your wife. I mean, no, you didn't. Uh, that's allegedly, just a yeah, thing yeah, that sorry, people yeah. have said. I'm, I'm not saying. I don't know how everyone believes uh, that if it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hashtag justice for Natalie Wood. Um, <laughs> this is also, this is very close to reality. Like, this is maybe, you know, we'll, we'll get to it, but this might be the most relevant moment. The 90s <laughs> evil versus 60s evil. Mm, um, which is more evil. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but, but where it misses the mark is that corporate stooges actually don't seem to have any limit on the amount of disruptive bumbling and malfeasance that they will tolerate um, and mm, still go along Far with, more, far you know? more evil and practicality, yes. <laughs> Turns out that, that supervillainy undermining your corporate greed is not a deal breaker for people like number two in the real world. So, oh, far uh, from it. What's, what's the opposite of that? I mean, not to give him any props, but like his last line being, I've had enough of you pushing me around (laughs) is a great way for a henchman to uh, end the relationship with his boss. Uh, Dr. Evil escapes into another cryogenic pod and returns to space. Austin and Vanessa flee the base before it self-destructs. And I, once again, I feel like the world enough, world is not enough is being referenced when the (laughs) underground exploding base goes off. It kind of really reminds me of the nuclear base explosion in 
that movie. I mean, it's classic to end with a base exploding, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's vintage. And we get one last, or one last, we get one more <laughs> stupid dick joke uh, and a chance to mug at the camera when he lands on top of the gear shift in the Jaguar. So unnecessary. It is not the last dick joke. I'm no. <laughs> <laughs> There's still runtime on this movie. That is not the last dick joke. Three months later, Austin and Vanessa are on honeymoon. This could be a nice touching ending um, with another dick joke where she inflates a balloon. Why, wait, question. Why is there a face drawn on the end of that balloon? Why is there a balloon? I mean... Why is there a balloon? Okay, fair, fair. <laughs> Why ask the question when you already know the answer, Shane? <laughs> There is no reason. This is where we get the happy ever after ending uh, the spy marrying uh, the the female lead, the female spy. Um, or I guess I should say the male spy marrying the spy. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. I love that. <laughs> and, uh, and this is why you don't do this uh, in a spy franchise. You don't have the couple happily together at the end because you're just going to have to undo it in the next in the film. In the next movie. Oh, and what? Oh God! It's such a shame that they ruin this, huh? Tell us, tell us about the second movie, Shane. Uh, okay, look, I there are some really funny jokes in Austin Powers: The Spy Who Shagged Me, but Heather Graham does not hold a candle to the charisma, and I'm using that word lightly. I realize of <laughs> Elizabeth Hurley, uh, and. Elizabeth Hurley being revealed to be a fembot, I'm sorry, spoiler alert, uh, at the beginning of the next film just ruins everything that is good about this ending. And makes no sense, obviously, but again, no. what does it matter? I mean, but I mean, that's the joke. It, it, we don't love it. We don't like it. The, you've undermined the, the, the lead character of this movie, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah the, one of the more fascinating <laughs> characters in this movie, too. Uh, yeah, uh, und- but they, the whole series is about undermining everything that they've done and uh, the work that it's based on. Yeah. So I guess I can't be too mad at it. I guess. <laughs> I mean, you just not, not like the films. Um, that's how I get around. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. We're not going that far. Um, I, I, we, you know, we get a returning gag with uh, the visual gag of them both being naked and holding up things to cover each other's nudity. And I do love the spice rack and the, the quote unquote bizarre picture of breast <laughs> that she holds up. You know, we love to see the female nipple on screen. Random task enters the hotel room as room service and attempts to kill Austin. Austin defends himself with a penis pump and Vanessa knocks random task out with a champagne bottle. Here we get multiple Bond references, but they miss the reference that would have been great and again i think because they ran out of money um so yes there's a <laughs> bit of there's a bit of rosa claire blotty lenya here in the uh the the person entering the room who is actually an assassin uh it's also a diamonds are forever reference because wint and kid do the same thing aboard the ship at the end and whisper does it aboard the ship on live and let die as well right so so three references for one here but then with the penis pump i'm like okay this is i literally thought oh he's going to inflate like dr kananga and explode like a balloon it's going to be hilarious such an easy joke so easy um and no he just like the penis pump is literally actually doing nothing at all other than i don't know inflating his penis i suppose i guess so through his trousers lining how was that supposed to hurt him i don't know he doesn't blow up he gets banged over the head with a champagne bottle Uh, well i mean that actually would kill a person so that's yes (laughs) (laughs) well not if he had a steel reinforced bowler hat like a certain other assassin so oh very true but he didn't he was totally ineffective we learn which is you know kind of a fun reveal i thought (laughs) (laughs) so yeah disappointed in the lack of balloon but clearly they did not know that this movie was going to make as much money as it did that's very very true (laughs) (laughs) in his escape pod opting the earth dr evil swears revenge he will be back (sighs) well i mean i can't wait for the next one how about you
I don't want to do this again, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this. Oh, but we had so much fun, Andrew. The sequels are so much worse. Like Fat Bastard oh, is such a oh, bad character. Oh, okay, God. that that I'm not looking forward to. Uh, but you know, there's oh. uh, <laughs> there's uh, Elvis Costello's in one of them. So <laughs> I mean, I guess if it's a year from now, maybe maybe I will have recovered enough. <laughs> T- time heals all wounds, Andrew. You'll be ready, I promise. <laughs> Uh, as the end credits roll, Austin and Vanessa conduct a photo shoot, followed by a performance by Austin's band, Ming-T. I mean, the photo shoot is actually one of my favorite parts of this <laughs> film, and they shove it right at the very end. There are three photo shoot moments in this movie, and they are all good. The first is the, the opening dance number where yes. it's inexplicable to me that Austin is a photographer. Like, what is, why is he a photographer? Why is that his spy. thing? Yeah. <laughs> like, he seems to be actually, like, famous. Like, he seems to be, like, what's his face? The, the guy that was banging Princess Margaret. He's, like, I think that's the riff here, that, that he is this swinging 60s shagged sexy photographer so we get that scene at the opening which is very nice like there's some great fashion moments we get the scene where he's shooting the blueprints and is talking to the blueprints like that they're yep. a model very funny i like that and then we Good. get this photo shoot at the end where there's some amazing fashion oh. uh, dame elizabeth hurley and um, and also <laughs> the incidental hotties of the movie these oh two my god pretty i'm gonna guess italian boys um, definitely with like nineties hot bodies rather than now, like they're they're not just as nicely shaped. Not yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> they haven't spent twenty four hours in the gym today. Yeah, one of them is I fucking Austin like like he wants <laughs> to invite him into a into a threesome and uh, and I love it. Um, not mad about it at all. It's a great little final scene, and then Ming Ti, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> not much to say there. Uh, cute song. Yeah. Let's get into it. Uh, how, what was your highlight of the movie? I'm going to say Scott Evil. Generally, I think was was my favorite. My favorite character, the the conceit of the the child who is not from a, a spoof movie, is not from a Bond movie, and does not understand why all of this is happening, and just the tension between father and son. And of course, it means that we get a Carrie Fisher scene, and also. Mm it's just a great like i did not love this movie but i did have this soundtrack i think everyone, oh the soundtrack everyone so had this good. soundtrack right one of the best cardigan songs ever carnival i absolutely love that track uh the burt Bacharach uh uh song uh what the world needs now obviously yeah. so so good nancy sinatra uh, nancy sinatra oh yeah amazing soundtrack for me highlights uh group therapy as well for yeah. sure uh, and I just love that Soul Bossa Nova intro. It is so bombastic and dynamic and colorful, really sets the tone. It's iconic. Uh, yeah, I love that. And I'm just going to add in that photo shoot at the end. We just talked about it. But yeah. it, every time I think about it, I, it puts a little smile on my face. She's just so gorgeous. For low light, I mean, let's pull back the, the curtain here. We can both see each other's answers when we get to this stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the podcast. And we have both written the same thing. Basil's it's mother. Basil's mother. It's yeah. a really <laughs> distressing scene. It's it's gross, and particularly following you know the man dressed as a woman assassin bit from earlier, which you know yeah. arguably was executed better. Uh, this just feels icky. Cut it. Take it out. It's it's bad. Fashion. Yeah. What was your fashion highlight? <laughs> well, I have a long list. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Lazenby, of course, crushed blue velvet, frilly laced cravat. I'm here for it. And then Vanessa. I mean, her black cat suit. 
her high hair, long sleeveless white gown in the photo shoot, plus the incidental hotties, <laughs> her aubergine and green fur coat in the photo shoot, her checkerboard, thigh high white mm-hmm. leather boots and golf ball hat, her plastic umbrella and matching outfit moment, her leather <laughs> black and white shorts, nothing else. Oh, everything <laughs> she wears is just perfect. Uh, yeah, the photo shoot's amazing. Um, I, I called it out before, but yeah, Austin's first suit, the blue stripes and the polka dot mm. short shirt combo, I think is a, a legit stylish um and all of the all of that carnaby street stuff and mrs kensington has these rectangular bakelite earrings that i caught on my second viewing that i was like those earrings are great yeah they really are i i would like those earrings although i do not have pierced ears and don't have any outfits that would go with them so (laughs) so i need to invest in some outfits that will go with those earrings i think we do um and yeah, when I was talking about like '90s fashion, um, <laughs> the one I want to call out is on on the on the airplane. Vanessa is wearing this roll neck sleeveless white sweater that, to me, feels so '90s. Like oh, as so '90s, very as librarian '90s. Yeah, it's as '90s as the '60s fashion is '60s, but not knowingly. Um, and yeah, like there's nothing spectacular about that outfit, but it's Elizabeth Hurley wearing it, and so it looks. Yeah. So goddamn chic. chic. Yeah, so good. <laughs> <laughs> and I will also call out from the photo shoot, the checkerboard outfit with the golf ball hat uh, was just phenomenal. Like, oh, that's so good. That's what I would wear on the drag race runway. It would be a right. reference, and I think everyone would, jaw would drop. And I think actually it's been done by someone like Gigi Good before. Oh, probably. This is such a Gigi Good like movie. The right. style, the fashion. Um, mm. I'm sure Elizabeth Hurley must be an icon to Gigi Good. I absolutely think so. Uh, what was the sexiest moment for you? Sexiest? Uh, consent. The fact <laughs> that, <laughs> yes! The fact that when she's drunk, he does not kiss her. Consent is sexy. Also, mm-hmm. Vanilla Ice's cheekbones and uh, and the fembots. Oh, yeah. The fembots, for sure. The fembots for me. Uh, their introduction scene, absolutely love it. The, the dress, the see-through dresses, just perfect. I'm yeah. here for the fembots. Uh, I nearly skipped this one. Uh, so I will say my favorite queerest moment uh is the agent who falls for austin in the fembot room <laughs> um yes it's a legitimate queer moment the the hot boy i fucking austin in the closing credits i put that as my queerest moment uh, the, yeah. the fact that there's a character named after a gay porn star you know also yeah arguable <laughs> but i but also patty o'brien was not a thing when this movie came out so uh sadly that one's just incidental but really do look up patty o'brien if that's something that interests you because he's a very handsome man uh best line or gag uh, I mean, there's so many, so hard to choose from. Uh, I do love, actually, the boy is quite astute. I am trying to kill him. Uh, <laughs> but I think ev- every time I laugh, every, every time I laugh is at allow myself to introduce myself. <laughs> my name is Richie Cunningham, and this is my wife, Oprah. I mean, <laughs> it's so absurd. <laughs> it is su- something that no one would say except someone who doesn't know better. I just love it. It's so good. <laughs> I'm going to go for my my favorite gag is feed my fishes. Not too Not much. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> the cut screen, it's just, it's a beautifully executed joke. I'm also going to call out my favorite Bond reference in the whole thing, which is three minutes and counting. Um, oh, snaps for the reference. Love it. <laughs> Gays love a reference. Gays love a reference. We do. We do. <laughs> the deeper, the better. Uh, how about the most timeless or relevant moment for you? I put corporations are evil, my friend. Um, mm, and yes. that maybe speaks for itself. Yep. Um, yeah. What would you say? 
Well, kind of in the same vein. Uh, well, finally, those capitalist pigs will pay for their crimes, eh, comrade? <laughs> uh, and as long as people are still having anonymous sex with plenty of strangers while experimenting with mind-expanding drugs in the consequence-free environment, I'm sound as a pound. Those are definitely the most relevant and timeless things both. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sound as a pound indeed. And cringiest moment. I think our answers here tie together quite neatly. Yep. For me, it's Austin assaulting Vanessa on the plane. And for me, it's the ease with which Vanessa comes around on Austin for no reason at all. Yeah. It just doesn't, it, like those two things taken together, it's just a bad arc. Yep, it is uh, men writing for women and not well. All right, now it's time for our ratings. We will give the movie a score between one and three, and then we will award bonus points from our four standard categories, which are... The Bond, the song... Or Powers, I guess, in this case. Well, uh, it's, it's The Bond, as far as I'm concerned. The Bond, the okay. song, the glamour, and the queerness. The maximum score available is, of course, 007. <laughs> and we start with our base scores. Shane, how many points are you giving this movie? And uh, I have not been kind, so... You know. uh, I mean... <laughs> Oh, Andrew, am I am I really going to throw everything into question here? Am I going to alienate our fans when I say I'm going to give this a three? Oh, my God. <laughs> is, is that your final answer, Shane? I mean, look, <laughs> it's nostalgia. Sure, it is. There's some really crass stuff that hasn't aged. Well, that is for sure. If I were lying to myself, I would give it a two, but I'm not lying to myself these days. I really love this film. It is a three for me. Well, I'm not lying to myself either, and it's a one for me. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> uh, quality of the Bond. I'm going to give him a zero on that one. Uh, he's not very good. <laughs> James Bond isn't in the movie. I mean, it's the same rule I had for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. If James okay, Bond fair. is not in the movie, I don't see how you can get a Bond point. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. Okay. We'll see if I loosen that up when we come to other movies in the future, but I don't know. I feel like it's pretty clear. Um, <laughs> now, here is the least clear category as far as I'm concerned. Um, the song. Does this movie get the song point? Because there isn't a song. But if we were going by Bond rules, then Soul Bossa Nova would be the song, no? I guess it would be, or it would be... Yeah, what's the first song to play out over the outro? Is that also Soul Bossa Nova? No, that's Austin Powers, the the official theme of Austin oh, Powers. Oh, okay. So, oh, well, you know what? I guess that kind of answers the question. I don't, I don't know if we can give it because there isn't a definitive song. Not even the song that is named for the character is strong enough for us to really consider it the song so even and that this is saying like as someone who loves the soundtrack we just yeah. said we both own the soundtrack but i can't give it the bond song because it doesn't really have one and we will find out that like later austin powers movies do have a bond mm -hmm. song right yes very much so yeah this is a thing that they did not think to do for this movie so yeah i guess i guess it has to be zeros all around i'm sorry i mean this was somewhere where i actually thought like if, if you were willing this... to relent on that one point and i changed your mind yes <laughs> if this were a soundtrack point uh then i would have then i would have given it because it is, a, it is a great soundtrack and there are some really amazing songs but the songs are mostly not f written for the movie so this is true. Uh, now, here's where things are going to turn around once again in my favor. Does this film get the glamour point? <laughs> Fuck, yes, it does. 
You would just punch me through the microphone if I said no, wouldn't you? You're just well, like... <laughs> look, you can say no. I'm not going to be happy about it, but <laughs> no, it, you're right. It does. It absolutely gets the glamour point. The 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 60s, like just the opening sequence in Carnaby Street alone. I, I it doesn't even say that it is Carnaby Street, but I just but you know that it. it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's just it's so good. The the airplane, like um, Alotta's whole uh, look, oh, God, again, I think yeah. the wig is cheap. Um, <laughs> It's teased though. It's very. It's teased of the gods, <laughs> <laughs> and the and the final photo shoot, like all of those things, and the fact that Elizabeth Hurley is in a film. Like this is not mm-hmm. a woman who has been in a lot of movies, and there is a reason for that. Um, <laughs> How but, dare you? She's but if she's, she's if she's in a movie, it gets a glamour point, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Agreed. Uh, and now this is definitely where we're going to differ again. I am going to award the queerness point uh, for pretty much all of the reasons that you actually just said about the glamour and Elizabeth Hurley, uh, plus the few moments that we did point out, uh, the guard falling for Austin, the incidental hottie uh, in the photo shoot falling for Austin. There's drag queen mention. There, Patrick <laughs> Bristow is in the film. There's more queerness in this film than I was expecting as someone who likes it, so it gets the point from me. Uh, whereas for me, this is a monument to heterosexuality. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. But <laughs> so is not. James Bond. <laughs> yes, and we 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 hunt, we peck through the dirt for the for the gems of queerness <laughs> in that franchise. Yes, um, quite like the chicken heads we are. <laughs> but no, it does not get the points for me, which means I'm I'm giving this two points out of seven, and you are giving it five out of seven, which means it gets. <laughs> Three and a half points. <laughs> like all of our other movies. <laughs> what What is happening? How is this keep happening? <laughs> oh, I love it. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think that that was going to... I thought either you would drag it too high or I would drag it too low. And of course, of course we right bumped in each the other middle. out. Amazing. Amazing. We were meant for each other, my oh, friend. We're idiots. <laughs> <laughs> we, I think we just said the same thing. We're not so different, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> Next time on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, we'll be giving something else three and a half points. Um, we, we will take a look at the third Ian Fleming Bond novel, Moonraker, which has almost nothing in common with the movie. Most notably, it's actually good. Um, yeah, three and a half points. I have a feeling that is already wrong, my friend. That, that might actually do well. Uh, join us in two weeks to meet the original Hugo Drax and Miss Gala Brand, maybe the most significant Bond woman never to appear on screen. Would you agree with that assessment? I 100% agree with that assessment. I cannot wait to talk Gala Brand. I cannot wait to talk Moonraker and Drax and Euchre or whatever the fuck <laughs> game they play. It's so exciting. You can follow Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on Twitter and Instagram at KKBBPod or send us nice messages at KissKissBangBangPod at gmail.com. You can also follow our individual Twitter accounts at Wheeler and at Shane Came Back. Please share, like, rate, and review Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on your preferred podcasting and social media platforms. Our graphics are provided by the superbly talented Carl Shura. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Carl Shura. That's C-A-R-L-S-H-U-R-A. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is recorded in Toronto on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. We acknowledge that we are settlers on unceded territory. We like to end every episode with a great piece of Bond-related music. Andrew, what are we signing off with this week? 
On our previous Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I picked a Walker Brothers song from a Bond-inspired 1967 movie. So, 1967, where this movie starts. Uh, both the song and the movie were called Deadlier Than the Male, a title taken from a dodgy colonialist Rudyard Kipling poem. Um, not that there's any other kind of Rudyard Kipling poem. Um, the line is, of course, the female of the species must be deadlier than the male. Austin Powers closes out with another song that takes its name from the same poem, The Female of the Species by Space. And this is a nostalgic classic for me. As I said, this is like a university-era movie. For me, it's a university-era band, Space. um, And it's a really neat loungecore throwback song that it's also got some very heavy Bond influences in both the music video and the instrumentation. The Austin Powers soundtrack is probably the film's best feature, and I was delighted to revisit so many of its tracks, uh, but also horrified to realise that we are almost 30 years from that movie. I love this song. I love this soundtrack, but I really do love this song as well. Uh, it is also super nostalgic for me. And I mean, Loungecore, that is my vibe. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this song speaks to me. Great choice. Great, great choice. Thank you all for listening, and until next time, kiss, kiss. Kiss.